Welcome to the Mass Bar Beat Podcast, the official podcast of the Massachusetts Bar Association, available free to members of the bar as well as the public, featuring lively discussions about important legal developments, interesting stories about NBA members, and helpful practical information about the law that matters to all of us. I'm your host, Jordan Rich, and today's guest is the newly named president of the Mass Bar Association, Christopher Kenny. Chris Kenney has tried cases before every level of the state and federal trial court system in Massachusetts and in several other states across the nation. He's also served as an appellate advocate before the Massachusetts Appeals Court, Mass Supreme Judicial Court, and the U.S. Court of Appeals for the First Circuit. The Mass Defense Lawyers Association named him the 2012 Massachusetts Defense Lawyer of the Year, and he has consistently been recognized by best lawyers in America since 2009. We're thrilled to have him here as a guest on the Mass Bar B Podcast. Congratulations, Mr. President. Welcome. Well, thank you, Jordan. It's a pleasure to be here. Must be a a pretty exciting time when you assume the mantle of such an austere organization. Yeah, I'm very excited about it. Uh, We're into it now about two months, and it's zipping by. I don't want to miss a beat. Well, you won't. You're a man of action. I know that. (laughs) There's a lot to talk about. Uh, The Mass Bar is involved with just a slew of projects. What is your overall theme as president? What are you looking to inspire people with? We're hoping to promote and enhance civic engagement and education in the Commonwealth. Um, You know, in these political times, as shown by the recent election, it's never been more important for everyone from grade school through adult voters to know about their rights and responsibilities as citizens. Well, there is a role that the Mass Bar Association plays in discovering and discussing and breaking down legal precedent and whether it's for Massachusetts or the nation, correct? Yes. Yeah, we're very active and uh, we're lucky to have very skillful and experienced lobbyists in, in Marty Healy and Lee Constantine. They will advance issues that the Mass Bar Association's House of Delegates has vetted, uh, debated, and taken a position on. And we're really proud of the House of Delegates. Um, as the statewide bar association, the NBA is really the only voice in Massachusetts that includes all lawyers from all geographic regions, all practice areas, all backgrounds. So um, it's a very balanced perspective. For example, Jordan, on issues of civil justice, we have representatives from the insurance defense community and represented from the plaintiff's bar. So we get you know both sides both of that, sides, and it right. promotes a very healthy, balanced debate. Likewise, on criminal justice issues, we have people from CPCS who do uh, criminal defense work, and we've got folks from prosecutors' offices. So again, good balance. And last year, we in fact did a big podcast on this topic of the uh, criminal reform bill and the impact that a lot of people from MBA had. It was very, very important. Yes, I, I absolutely agree. We take our role as ambassadors for the legal system and the court system seriously. Uh, We're lucky to have a very healthy relationship between the bench and the bar in Massachusetts, very respectful. And of course, uh, in the courtroom, uh, each has its own role and we respect that. But the lawyers of the Mass Bar Association see themselves as officers of the court. So when we're in a case, we're certainly trying to be zealous advocates to advance our client's position, but we're, we're working with the court to make sure the right result is achieved as well. Getting back to the involvement in civics and promoting that, there's an organization, iCivics, I-C-I-V-I-C-S dot org, pretty easy website to remember. You say this is a good project that maybe the MBA might want to get involved with. Yes. As a matter of fact, we've already started a partnership with iCivics. Um, Massachusetts recently enacted legislation mandating a more robust and uh, substantive content-filled curriculum for civics in the eighth grade level of public schools in Massachusetts. Uh, It's still being refined, but iCivics came into Massachusetts on a volunteer basis and has taken the lead in helping to develop the curriculum. 
iCivics is a nonprofit. So one of the things Mass Spar is doing is helping them to raise some money to uh, promote that curriculum. But we're also really working with them to promote the education of civics. For example, uh, we're going to be housing some of the training that iCivics does for Boston school teachers. We'll be housing that at our new renovated mm -hmm. facilities at the Mass Bar. In addition, iCivics um, is is working with the school system to try to make sure that they design the content. Um, they want to have some original documentation. So the students in eighth grade are not getting some Reader's Digest version or a cliff note of what the Constitution says, but critically analyzing the words that the Founding Fathers used. And I really mm -hmm. admire the way that iCivics is trying to go back to that to allow students you know, who are with emerging adult analytical skills to put them to work. This is a great promotional idea because we bemoan the fact that people are so unaware of not only their responsibilities, but how the government works on a state or local or national level. It used to be taught absolutely guaranteed. You had to learn it in, in the old days, probably before you and me were, were even around. But it's, it's a very important project to take on. I agree. And, yeah. and I remember growing up as a kid, there was some public uh, programming where they'd have some educational component. You know, for example, I'm just a bill up on Capitol Hill. You know, they'd have these little uh, right. sing songs where... You know, kids who are watching cartoons would then get that public service and you'd, you'd learn. Mm -hmm. huh? that, that doesn't exist anymore. Now, you're looking to inspire attorneys, members of the bar and others, to actually do some of this educating because attorneys are so well-schooled in the law. If they can share some of that schooling uh, on, you know, with language that we can understand, that would be a boon. I totally agree. And I think that's really calling for the members of the bar. No one in society, um, more so than lawyers, uh, is prepared to do this by education or training or mission to advance the concepts of separation of powers, constitutional rights, free speech, right to counsel, right to jury by, of your peers. That's right in our bailiwick. And so, uh, you know, we, we really have a responsibility to help advance that. Speaking of responsibility, everyone knows about that famous notice that we all get every once in a while. It's time for jury duty. No one really says, hey, what a great idea, but it's one of our civic responsibilities as U.S. citizens. You have, a, I think, a humorous story about how jury duty affected you. <laughs> yes. Uh, so civics is one of my real themes this year as right. president of the Mass Bar. And so I had the great good fortune of actually being called for jury duty just a couple of weeks ago in Middlesex County up at Lowell Superior Court. So I was eager to serve and was thinking that uh, the, the lawyers in the case probably wouldn't want to have a fellow lawyer sitting on the jury because sometimes you hijack the deliberations. So when I completed the juror questionnaire, I put at the bottom, I am a civil trial lawyer. I'm president of the Massachusetts Bar Association, but I will be fair and impartial and I'd like to serve. So I waited in the jury pool, Jordan. I finally get called in with about 50 other prospective jurors to be um, part of the voir dire process of jury selection. Mm -hmm. And I was number 17 when they finally called me up to sidebar. Uh, Judge Barrett was presiding and um, he told me a little bit about the case. And I was just keeping my fingers crossed that it would be something that I would get by the lawyer's scrutiny and be seated on the jury. He said, Mr. Kenny, this case involves uh, uh, allegations of medical malpractice. Do you know anything about medical malpractice? <laughs> and I said, well, um, earlier in my career, I, I did a lot of work representing doctors and nurses in hospitals, defending them against allegations of medical malpractice. And I could see the plaintiff's lawyer gulp. And Judge Barrett gave it another chance. He said, well, this, uh, this particular case involves uh, an allegation that the plaintiff uh, had cancer and it was misdiagnosed. Do you know anything about cancer? Uh, and I said, well, geez, unfortunately, my father passed away mm -hmm. from cancer. So then I saw the defense lawyer gulp. <laughs> and Judge Barrett, I think, having read my questionnaire, knowing I wanted to serve, tried to save me and said, Mr. Kenny, this particular case involves a claim against a nurse. Um, do you have any friends who are nurses or do you know any nurses? 
And I paused and said, only my sister. <laughs> Boy. And Mr. <laughs> the judge said, Mr. Kenny, that is the trifecta. You're dismissed. The judge gulped at that point. <laughs> he sure did. Exactly. And I was sorry to be dismissed, but it was absolutely the correct thing to do. The voir dire process worked. Um, I would not have been appropriate to be seated on that jury. Mm-hmm. And although I regret it, I was heartened to see that the system worked. And for people who've gone through the process and served, and I did serve on a jury trial for two or three days, an enlightening experience, one that I'll never forget, taught me a lot about human nature, taught me a lot about the system, about judicial prudence. It really opened my eyes. So that's an example. If you're called, obviously follow up. And if you're picked, it's an important role, no question about it. It is. I mean, other than your right to cast a ballot at election time, sitting on a jury is the greatest individual role that we as citizens have in government. Um, I did serve on a jury earlier in my legal career. It was a criminal case, and I put on the slip that I do mostly civil law, so I Mm-hmm. I was I, I snuck by and sat on the jury, and I remember that experience well, Jordan, because it was so empowering. Uh, the twelve of us were in charge. The judge presided, made sure the correct procedure was followed, mm-hmm. that the rules of evidence were followed, but the call on the verdict was entirely ours, and it was a close call. It was a tough call, and one of the somewhat empowering and disquieting moments I had was when we came out to deliver the verdict. Uh, we sat, we stood actually waiting for the judge to come and it probably was only about a minute, but it seemed like an hour because everyone in the courtroom was staring at us. We knew what our verdict was. They didn't. And you could almost see the prayers emanating above each side's head because we we knew the mm-hmm. victim. We knew the accused. We knew their families. We saw the witnesses who were rooting for each side. And it was an overwhelming sense of, um, of power mm-hmm. that the we 12 citizens we're going to make this call. It wasn't the police. It wasn't the governor. It wasn't the military. It was us. Peers. We, we citizens. The peers yeah. of those involved. I couldn't agree more. And that brings me to uh, another question about something called the Trial Academy that you're very much in favor of. And uh, in fact, SJC Chief Justice Ralph Gantz recently mentioned he was excited about it. First of all, what is the Trial Academy and how could it impact people? Sure. So this is something that uh, I'm very excited about uh, getting underway at the MBA. It stems from an experience I had with another uh, international bar association that holds a Trial Academy out at Stanford every year. Mm -hmm. And I had the good fortune of serving as the director last year. And the purpose of that Trial Academy was to um, take civil litigators and through about a 10-day process of intensive training, turned them into trial lawyers. So I saw how that metamorphosis and transformation took place. I saw how empowering it was to the litigators who became trial lawyers. Mm. And I thought to myself, this would be a great thing to implement in Massachusetts because we have three needs crying out in our courts that could be addressed by this. And here's what they are, Jordan. First, we have too many litigants who can't afford lawyers. Right. So they filed their cases And sometimes they may be relatively small in the district court or the BMC. So you've got these pro se, unrepresented litigants uh, bringing their cases and really not knowing what they're doing. And knowing no disrespect is intended that way. That might be an engineer or a homemaker who is much better at their vocation than Mm -hmm. I am, Mm -hmm. but they're not lawyers. So the problem is you have these uh, these litigants who really aren't getting full access to justice because they're not represented. Mm -hmm. The second issue is you have this generation of lawyers who went to law school to become trial lawyers. And they come out and they're really civil litigators, which is a different animal entirely. Litigation is the process in the courts that ultimately is supposed to culminate in a trial proceeding if the case doesn't settle. But over the past quarter century or so, you've had this whole notion of adjudication by trial almost disappear. And that's the result of tort reform, 
the emergence of ADR, like mediation and arbitration, where people right. take their cases out of the court system and go and have a private proceeding in a conference room somewhere. And the, the problem with that is no precedent is developed because mm. those, those decisions are private. And the third thing is just the sheer cost of litigation has gone up and people yeah. can't afford it. You have had uh, another experience with this in your role as director of the IADC, which is the International Association of Defense Counsel Trial Academy at Stanford. This is a proven model. This does work. Yes, it, it really does work. Um, as I said, it's, it's transformative. Mm. When, when working with the young lawyers here, you have the advantage of knowing that they are eager. They're there as students who want to learn how to try cases. They face the paradox that they can't try a case because they've never tried a case. And so in their law firms, they're not being entrusted with that opportunity because they, they've never demonstrated they could do it. So starting up this trial academy, the Mass Bar Association, will get these young lawyers the actual training they need to feel comfortable that they can go into a courtroom and try a case. They'll know how to do an opening statement, a direct examination, a cross-examination, and a closing argument. We'll do a practical hands-on demonstration of how to get evidence in at trial. What foundation must you lay? Mm -hmm. What questions do you ask? We'll tell them how to preserve the record for appeal so that when they're asking their questions at trial, they also are making a record that they can appeal uh, an adverse decision. Now, we're going to start small and not be overly ambitious. So what we have um, in line at the MBA is more of a truncated three-day program. And we're going to get uh, some of the real stars of the Massachusetts Bar to do the training. So uh, lawyers who are Mass Bar Association members will receive this training for free. Um, we're going to start small. There will be a limited class in the first year. And then after they get this training, we're going to ask them to take on cases in the district court or the uh, Boston Municipal Court uh, through a program we've set up with the chief judges of those courts. And that takes me to the third benefit of the trial academy. I, I said there are three. The third benefit is not only will unrepresented parties get the benefit of legal assistance, not only will new lawyers get trained to become trial lawyers and get experience, they'll earn their stripes a little bit, but the court system will benefit. And the people will benefit. And the people will benefit. This is, and, and I wanted to remark on the fact that your ambitious agenda has to focus, and it does, on two elements, the community, the people, the citizenry, and also the members and people who are part of this organization, the Mass Bar Association. So let me move to one other area that's sure. really important, and that is member welfare. You've got at least two important issues on your mind. One is the well-being of attorneys. And last year, we did a podcast on just that, the emotional, physical shape of people who take on this role. It's a very challenging and stressful job. And also, uh, we'll have you comment afterwards on the Leadership Academy Fellows. But let's talk about your concern for your your fellow lawyers and attorneys in this world. Certainly. Jordan, the American Bar Association recently came out with a report that was in-depth, insightful, but extremely troubling. It found that uh, lawyers, more than really any other vocation or profession, were under siege. They were Their well-being was being challenged by the work they were doing. And uh, some of the conclusions were that certainly pressure is endemic to this work. You know, lawyers are hired to handle the most serious problems in people's lives. But the problem became compounded because billable hour requirements in private practice have skyrocketed, mm -hmm. which then takes away your work-life balance, which in turn uh, affects your health. And the, the report from the ABA showed that lawyers have a disproportionately high burden of stress, depression, substance use. And it, it's so troubling that the ABA said we've got to do something about it. 
Locally, the Supreme Judicial Court, led by Chief Justice Ralph Gantz, has embraced the mantle to try to address the problem and come up with some solutions. So he's appointed a steering committee uh, to analyze the ABA report and see what we can promote locally in Massachusetts to help to address this problem. We were excited that he invited the Mass Bar to appoint a designee, and, and our Vice President Denise Murphy is sitting on the SJC committee, and she's reporting back to us. What we hope to do is to take the recommendations that come out of the SJC report and help to implement them through the MBA. Mm. It's, a, it's an ambitious, as I say, program and one that is so needed. And maybe other organizations will take the lead from you and realize that uh, people are so under stress these days with with everything in their own lives and in the world that it's important to focus on people. Yeah. We're, we're learning a lot, Jordan, from the American Medical Association that yeah. did a similar study. And there are a lot of parallels between the two professions. Between doctors and lawyers. Yeah. And let's just mention the uh, Leadership Academy fellows. This is really exciting because you get a chance to, to support people and honor people for the work they're doing. Yes. And it's really on the front end of careers, Jordan. What, what we found is that this is not your father's bar association. Um, <laughs> That's for you know, sure. You know, bar associations, trade associations and the like um, are all suffering some challenges with membership because of this digital age we're in. People can get their continuing legal education at their desktop in their home or at their office. So they don't always have to come into a bar association for a seminar. Uh, they feel like they're networking through playing Fortnite with others online. So they don't feel like they have to come to a, a cocktail reception or a lecture to meet other lawyers. And that has had a, a detrimental effect, I think, on society, not just in the legal profession, but, uh, for example, in, in construction, my brother belongs to Associated Builders and Contractors, a fine organization, and they report the same types of declining membership. And, and so when you have lower membership, you have less sense of community and you have fewer emerging leaders to keep that association going forward. So we, we're taking it head on at the Mass Bar Association by trying to identify train and empower young leaders who can become tomorrow's leaders of the bar and the bench and the legislature. So here how, here's how we've done it, Jordan. Uh, starting three years ago, we appointed a steering committee of federal judges, state judges, leading lawyers, business people, and we came up with the concept for the Mass Bar Association's Leadership Academy. And the mission really is to identify and train young lawyers to become tomorrow's leaders. The criteria are pretty simple. First, you have to be between three and 10 years past the bar. So we want to get lawyers on the front end of their career so that we can have the impression on them mm -hmm. and so that they'll have the, the future uh, time period in their careers to, to give back what we're teaching them. They have to be nominated by a Mass Bar member. They have to get two letters of support and recommendation from either employers or judges or people that can speak to their leadership potential. And then it's a very competitive process by which this steering committee will select 25 fellows who will receive a fellowship for one year at no cost to them through the Mass Bar Association. And in this leadership academy, we have four substantive programs. They deal with program, uh, they deal with topics such as how to plan and run a meeting effectively, how to deal with the media, public speaking skills, mm. and basic leadership. We have convened for these programs some of the great leaders of commerce and the courts and the legal profession it's really very exciting to see these people come in and volunteer their time to help empower these new leaders. In between the quarterly substantive programs, we have them uh, assigned to a mentor that they stay in touch with to discuss the content from the last meeting and to prepare for the next program. So it's a very uh, consistent continuum throughout the year. 
At the end of the year, there's a graduation ceremony at the Supreme Judicial Court. Uh, Chief Justice Ralph Gantz presides. And it's really a wonderful, uh, meaningful experience because at the end of it, they get their diploma, having com- concluded the program. And then sort of like the doctors who get their notice of where the internship or residence will be, right. we tell them where they will be deployed within the Mass Bar Association for the following year in a leadership position. That's terrific. The kind of thing that other organizations might want to model. Anytime you tap somebody on the shoulder and say, good job, because you've earned it. I mean, that's, it just works wonders. One final question. It's more personal. Why did you become a lawyer and what do you love about it? I love being a lawyer because although it sounds trite, you really can make a difference. When I think back of my almost 30 years of practice now, I can identify the cases where someone hired me to take on their most challenging problem. And they said, essentially, we have confidence in you, we trust you, and we're relying on you. Mm. Um, And certainly, you know, I make my living this way. I charge for my services. But being a trial lawyer is really a calling because you're never hired to come in second. You're hired to win the case. Now, that doesn't mean every case goes to trial or goes to an appeal. A win can be a really effective settlement that saves the family, saves the home, saves the business. It can be something that makes it – it should be something that makes a difference for the client, whether it's a Fortune 300 company or a mom and pop. And I embrace that responsibility. I grew up playing competitive sports. I really enjoyed it. When I got to the end of the road there, I thought, what else can I do that will bring out the same type of competitive juices that my athletic career did? And and being a trial lawyer does that. Um, I love that there are rules. You have to play by the rules, but you play to win. And it's, again, very much a parallel to athletics. And now you're taking on a role that you obviously love having, this role as president of the NBA with a very exciting agenda with a lot to do, but uh, already things are falling into place. So we want to thank you for sharing a little bit of your thoughts and views on where things are going and how the organization is coming forward. Thank you so much and congratulations and good luck. Thank you, Jordan. You've been listening to the Mass Bar Beat Podcast, available free at massbar.org and downloadable on most popular podcast platforms, including Apple, SoundCloud, Google Play Music, and more. If you're a consumer in need of legal help, contact the Mass Bar Association's Lawyer Referral Service. Call 866-627-7577. Again, that's 866-627-7577. Or visit masslawhelp.com. Let us connect you to a lawyer today. Mass Bar Beat is produced by the Massachusetts Bar Association, and we invite you to subscribe so you'll never miss a beat. This is Jordan Rich. Thank you for listening.